0: This morning, I'd like you to, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me uh, to 1 John. I'll give you a few minutes or a few seconds to find that. Um, we've been talking about uh, Advent and talking about it meaning arrival and meaning that uh, Christ is come. Hope has come. And that's really what the season of Christmas and the season of Advent is all about, is for us looking forward with expectation uh, to the Christ child And knowing that he is no longer a child, amen, he's no longer on this earth, he's no longer on a cross, he's no longer in a tomb, but he is seated, the Bible says, at the right hand of the Father forever. In fact, it says that he is interceding on your behalf. He's the go-between that we've always needed. So we've talked about the gifts of hope and the gifts of joy, and those are really important gifts. And this week, I want us to talk about the gift of love. The truth is, is that God is love. It's not just something that he has, that he possesses, it's something that he is. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. He's not just loving or kind, but he is the definition of love. It's his character, it's his nature, it's his behavior towards us, is loving. And so this is the absolute truth about God, that he is love, not that just he possesses love but he is love and in first john chapter four when we read that in a few minutes what we're going to do is we're going to look at the scripture there that says that since god is love and since he loved us first we love him back and we are to love others as well and this is a fitting thing to talk about in this season a few years ago i had the honor of officiating uh the wedding of my best friend and um it was a pretty awesome ceremony if i do say so myself Uh, It was a really fun time, but if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, um, you know that something that is commonly read as a portion of the wedding would be 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, and it talks in there about love. Love is this, love is that, love never fails, but did you know that there's a place in scripture where the word love appears more times than in that chapter? Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it appears nine times, but in the the Bible part, the passage uh, that we'll read right now, it appears 21 times in a single chapter. So there's something to be said about love. In 1 John chapter 4, we begin reading in verse, let me pull it up here on the screen, verse 7. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son To be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Just for definition's sake, I'll make sure that you understand that word propitiation means full payment. Christ was sent as the full payment of our sins. And it's important for us to know that this is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. John, who wrote the, uh, the books or the letters of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, as well as the book of Revelation, um, and some most say he wrote the Gospel of John as well, he was on the island of Patmos, the Bible says. He was exiled there when he wrote the book of Revelation. But in his later years of life, he came home, and they allowed him to come to the city of Ephesus. You have a book in your Bible called Ephesians. And that's the church where he came to make his home church as he was in retirement in his 80s and 90s. They allowed him to come, but not knowing who he was, just saw an elderly gentleman. The story goes of him coming in and sitting in the back. And at some point, they recognized and realized he's the last living disciple. He's the last living one who had seen Jesus, walked with Jesus, was taught by Jesus. And so when they got that knowledge, history tells us that someone in the church said, can you tell us, can you tell us what, what was it like to walk with Christ? What was it like to be walking with him, to see him perform miracles? What was it like to see how he treated others? What, tell us about this. And so the story goes that he came up from the back of the the sanctuary where they were meeting, and he came to the front, and he said three words, love one another. And he just went and sat back down. And some were surprised, some were disappointed, but there was a very real and profound statement that he was making in that moment. The thing that he had learned from Christ most was love one another. And so it said that they would ask him time, from time to time and say, hey, can you tell us? You know, somebody new would show up and say, wow, that's, that's the guy? Oh, my goodness, will you tell us? What did Jesus say? And he would say, love one another. I think that's each one of us struggle with that at times in our life, to love one another. I know that my daughters struggle with that sometimes. And I know that kids aren't the only one that struggle with that. It's also us as grown-ups with that thought of loving one another. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He calls himself that. As he writes, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, talking about himself. He was close with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was always seeming to harp on love. And he's the one who recorded the conversation at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, there's a place in Scripture after they've broken the bread and shared the, the cup. It says that he tells the words of Jesus as Jesus spoke them that night. He said these words A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So John always was harping on love. And here in this chapter, in the verses we already read, in verses 7 through 11, he talks about us loving one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That's not just a superficial kind of, oh, I love pizza. That's a, that's a depth of love from one human to another that's saying that we ought to love each other the same way that God loves us. God loves us pretty incredibly, if I can put it like that. His love for us is deep. It's unconditional. Look at verse 14 of 1 John chapter 4. It says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Skipping down to verse 19, it says this, We love him because he first loved us. So just like the gifts of hope and the gifts of joy that we've talked about in our series, we've spoken about those things as being choices. You have to choose to have hope over despair. You have to choose to rejoice even in the midst of your hardest circumstances. We read in James how he says, Rejoice even in those worst of times. Rejoice, consider it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations. So we must choose those things. And it really is a matter of perspective. We've got to choose joy and choose hope. And the same is true of love. We must choose love. Love is no different. It's a choice. We don't understand this. I I don't think that we understand this the way that we ought, and if we do, we don't practice it enough. We don't understand because our understanding of love comes from worldly influences. It comes from Hollywood. It comes from different impressions that we get in our culture, all of these different ideas that we get about love, but what we really need to look at is how God loved us so that we can love others accordingly. In Hollywood, you could say that their vision of love or their version of love is misguided, it's misleading, it's misaligned according to scripture. It's not the right representation of love. I was in GameStop the other day uh, picking up a gift card, and um, I was standing there, and I had Madeline with me. (laughs) And the guy at the counter tells the woman at the counter who's buying the, the game for her son, who's a teenager, standing next to her. He says, ma'am, I just want to tell you, this game is rated E. I'm obligated, not E, M. I'm obligated to tell you that it's rated M for mature for every possible reason. There is violence, there's blood, there's gore, there's rape, there's sex. And he begins to list it, and I'm like grabbing my child, like, oh, dear goodness. And she said, how much is it? Oh, 55. And I'm thinking to myself, And you know me, I am not preaching against entertainment. I'm not preaching against this show or that show. But I'm telling you that if that game, he said, had eight sex scenes in it, and her teenage boy was going to see that, he's obviously not going to see the connection of love that builds over time. He's going to see that quick, fast, I need this, I'm going to get my needs met. And so when we see that kind of imagery in today's entertainment, and it's been around for years, My parents used to talk about it, too, and I called them old fuddy-duddies. And here I am with little ones saying, you know what? There's a lot of stuff that can help lead us in the wrong direction if we actually believe it, if we listen to it, if we let it in. So those cultural impressions, the things that we look at on the TV or in entertainment, even the songs that we sing, we heard them last night at a Christmas fest, no less, doing a song called, Um, I hate boys, but all the boys love me. Little six-year-old girls dancing to it. And I'm thinking, you know, there are appropriate things to do and not appropriate things to do. That falls under that category for me. But Hollywood tells us that we can fall in love. One day I just wake up and I tripped into love. I, I fell into it on accident, haphazardly. And at some point when I get out of bed 10 years later after being married for 10 years, happily ever after has ended and I've fallen out of love. That's what it's telling us. And so we grow up with that understanding. We see it around us. But that's not true of God. And so when we have misconceptions of love, we also have a misconception of God. That's what this comes down to because if an attribute of God, if his actual nature is love, then we we probably have it a little bit misaligned if we're looking at it from the eyes of this world and our experience. God commands us to love If it's a choice, he can command us to love. If it's something that's natural, that would happen. He wouldn't have to command us. But yet we read and we hear the scripture of Jesus saying, a new commandment I give to you. In another place, he's asked by the teacher of the law and says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? What what should I be doing? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And the second, which is just as big, is love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Not just the people that live downstairs. It's not just the people who live in the house next door. It's those who we meet. It's those who we come into contact with. God commands us to love. He's not commanding us to do something that we have no control over. We have control over our love. So we can choose love or not choose love. And the same thing is true in our relationship of God. We can choose to love him and choose to pursue him. We can choose to celebrate him or we can choose to back away. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, it says this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So let me explain something to you. In the time of Jesus, there was New Testament. It was being written. So he's saying the law, which is a portion of scripture, and all the prophetic books, those that are the voices of the prophets from the past. He's saying the word of God, the scripture that you hold, all of it is wrapped up in these two commandments that you must choose to love the Lord your God and choose to love your neighbor. So our souls are made up of three things, our mind, our will, and our emotions. The way you think and the decisions you make cause your emotions to follow. Our culture has it backwards. They say I've got to feel it and then I'm going to choose it. But we do lots of things that I guess we could say we we do lots of things that we wish we didn't have to do. Like how many of us pay bills? Every one of us, we don't, we, we can choose that, but we need to choose to pay our bills, right? There are other things that we have to do in our life. Cameron said the other day, the difference between um, a hobby and a, and a job is that at a job, you have to do things that you don't like sometimes. A hobby, you get to choose whatever you do, but at a job, you've got to vacuum. You've got to, you've got to just show up and you've got to help in whatever way, and whatever capacity that they're expecting you to do. The truth is that we need to make the choice and the feelings will follow. When you love someone, you make a choice to invest in them. For the married couples in this room, close your eyes for just a moment. Think back to your wedding day. I'm serious, close your eyes. Think back to your wedding day. Think about, husbands, think about seeing your spouse walk down the aisle. Think about that moment when you saw your groom standing there. Think about that love that was expressed in that moment. Now open your eyes and don't don't jump or get scared, okay? Open your eyes. You have experienced love. You understand what that love looks like. You have had days where you've had to choose to love. Do not nudge your spouse. I can tell you that it's true from my experience and I know from the human experience there are days when my spouse has had to choose to love me and make that choice, And I'm so thankful that she has. We have that choice. But it's also an investment. When you love somebody, you invest in them. That's why we buy them gifts. That's why we invest our time, our energy into the love of our life and into the things that we do love. Something important for us to understand is that God chose you. The Bible tells us, and all throughout the testimony of Scripture, that God made us... To love us He chose us He chose not just us Collectively in this room you may think Well yeah he chose that guy because that guy Yeah he seems like he's got it all together No he chose you He chose each and every one of us Regardless of the garbage or the baggage That we bring regardless of the despair That we have felt regardless of the Hopelessness that we've had regardless Of the sins that we've committed God still loves us and he doesn't just love us collectively, he loves you. He doesn't change his mind about this. If he was able to change his mind about this, and he's, he's not changing his mind about this, he says he's not a man that he would flip-flop and go back and forth. He sent his only begotten son to the world, which is why we're here today celebrating Christmas. Because of that single act that made the difference. The truth is that God has always been about restoring, rebuilding, reforming, getting back together, healing. He's always been about that, redeeming. He wants to do that in each of our lives. But he loves you with all of his heart, no matter what, and forever and always. Think about that for just a moment, that God loves you no matter what. No matter what you've done, No matter what you will do, God loves you. He loves you forever and always. His love will not change for you. And here's something that all of us need to know. We cannot make him love us more by doing the right thing, by paying our tithes, or by serving in the church, or by whatever it may be that we think. We can't actually make God love us more. That's awesome. (laughs) But here's the other part. This is the flip side. We can't make him love us less. And I don't think that we get that. I don't think that I live according to the truth of God's word, that his promise is sure, that he loves me unconditionally. That's pretty powerful. When you think about the birth of Christ and you think about the significance, that God risked it all to send part of himself to the earth, to be born like us, one of us, to be able to live a life that was sinless, to die on a cross and to rise from the dead. He did that all risking it knowing that some of us, in fact, many in the world have not chosen him, but he still loves them. He still loves you. So he doesn't change his mind about this. I've been talking to Madeline and to Brighton about this recently. If I say to them, how does daddy love you? then they can say, with all his heart, because they know that that's true. They know that daddy loves them no matter what. It doesn't matter if they get in a fight at school, which I don't see that happening. (laughs) It doesn't, well, someday, I mean, they'll be teenagers at some point. It doesn't matter if they flunk a test. It doesn't matter if they didn't clean their room. Am I disappointed that they disobey? Sure, but does it change the love that I have for them? Absolutely not. So when we have that same image in our own hearts, I I sure hope you treat your kids like you love them no matter what, that we ought to have that same image of God loving us no matter what. No, it's not a cop-out to go sin and do whatever you want to and live life willy-nilly, but it is the reality that we should live in that he loves us no matter what. In verse 9 and 10 of chapter 4, it says this, In this, the love of God was manifest. It was made real toward us. That God had sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the full payment for our sins. So I want you to know this morning that God has chosen you. Each and every one of you need to hear that individually today. That God has chosen you, that he's committed to you, that he's choosing you on a daily basis, that he's investing in you. God is doing that because he loves you. This, in fact, is the Christmas story. Christmas is not about, and I know you know this, but it's not about some mysterious bearded grandpa shimmying down a chimney to give the toy that you always wanted to you. It really is about God, the creator of the universe, sending his son in the form of a boy that you never knew you needed. It's, it's, that's the truth of Christmas. And so we must keep our eyes focused. In light of that, think about what Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus was. You all know that conversation. Even though you may not know the context of it, you do know the words that are spoken. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So 1 John 4, where it talks about God being love. We said that you can't do anything to make him love you less. And I feel like there are people even here today that might struggle with that. From time to time, you may think that you may think back on your past. I was talking to someone recently who said that her family continues to remind her years and years later about mistakes that she made years ago. She said, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how to prove to them that I'm different, that God has changed my life, except for I live it out every day and I just hope that they understand that he's transformed me. And I said, that's really all you can do. People will hold on, even ourselves, will hold on to the things that we did to offend the God of the universe before we came to him. We'll remember those things. Just because we've left them at the feet of Jesus doesn't mean that we've forgotten about them From time to time, the enemy would want us to have those things in our thought and have those things in our mind and tell us that we're not worthy, that we're not worth it. But Christmas is a time for us to understand the reality is we are worth it. We're worth the investment. You are worth the investment of God choosing to send his son to the earth just for you. The reason that he can't love you anymore is because whatever you do, is not going to be good enough. And because he's already perfect, he's already loved you as much as he's ever going to love you. I'll love my kids, whether they become garbage women or whether they become CEOs of a company. I'm going to love them because they belong to me, because I choose to love them. He does the same thing. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere do we understand this more evident than in him giving his son for us as full payment for our sins. When it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be called the righteousness or become the righteousness of God in him. The story is told of a man who visited his pastor. and He was unburdening his heart. He was needing some counseling for some issues. He's got a lot of junk going on in his life. He doesn't know how to fix all the chaos and the mess. And he's sitting there, and he's just kind of unloading his problems. The pastor's listening patiently, and he, he's listening to the man as he kind of just shares everything that's going on. And at some point, the pastor stops because he feels like the Holy Spirit is speaking to his heart. And he interrupts the man, and he says, God loves you. You know that? God loves you. And he just looks at him and says, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But so, like I was saying, my wife and my kids and my job and my, and he, he felt it so strong again. He said to the man, he said, sir, God loves you. And the gentleman looks down and he kind of looks down at the floor for an extended period of time and he begins to think it's kind of setting in. He says, I want to tell you, God loves you. You, and the man just began to break down and cry, began to really understand in his heart the fullness of the truth of that. And that's what he needed in that moment. In the midst of all of the junk that was swirling around in his life, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the bills, in the midst of the relationship, in the midst of the job, in the midst of all of those challenges, he needed to know that God loves him. And I know that you need to know that too. You say, hey, I got that, Pastor. I say to you again today that God loves you. He chose you. If there was no one else but you, you would still make it. He would still have sent his son for you because he wants to repair, rebuild, restore the relationship, which we messed up, but in his grace, he he restores that. He changes that. So as that man in the story truly began to believe the words that God loves him, it started to change him. This is the difference. The difference is this verse on our screen, verse 16 of chapter 4. It says this, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. There's a difference between just knowing it in your mind and saying, yeah, 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 I got that. God loves me. I get it. It's Christmas time. I know. The nativity. I get it. It's different than just having that and having that deep-seated belief that says that God loves me. As gross and as negligent and as sinful and as unrighteous and as unworthy as I am, God loves me, and He loves you. He loves those you are thinking about this morning in this service. He loves your family members that you're going to be with this week. He loves the person on your job who annoys you. He loves the person on the street that we pass as we're walking by. He loves every single person in the universe. That's powerful. Do we really believe that God loves us in the deepest parts of us. If we do, it changes the way that we view the world around us. Because if we no longer have this misconception of love, then we no longer have this misconception of God that, yes, he does love us. He loves us for who we are because we're his. Does he want to change us? Absolutely. Does he want us to be better? Yes. Does he want us to be healthy? Yes. Does he want us to stay stuck in our sin? No. He wants to help us in this life. If we'll just reach out our hand and say yes, that's what it requires, our willingness. It'll change the way that we view the world around us. It'll change the way that we think. It'll change the way that we live. It'll change the way that we treat others when we truly get this concept that God loves me and he loves the other person on the side of that relationship, the conversation, the challenge, whatever it may be. Jesus Christ has always been a a Redeemer and Restorer. The book of John is an interesting place. The Gospel of John is an interesting book. I love the way that it talks about what Jesus' words were. It has these statements like no other book in the Bible where it says that Jesus said, I am. So he says eight of these throughout the book of John. And I, I want to share them with you this morning because I want you to know who it is that loves you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. Other versions would say the bread of heaven. It's it's an image for us to remember how God provided for the Israelites with manna from heaven. Jesus is the bread that came to us. It's the bread of life. He is the door. That We enter into there is no other door to get to heaven. There is no other religion. It is very exclusive I had to try to explain the word elite to Madeline the other day and I said well special And I said no, it's more than that. And then I started talking about the fact that we are elite Those who love God are elite Those those are a special people a special people So he's the door, he's the one that we go through to get to heaven. He is the vine, the Bible says in the book of John, and we are the branches. We must abide in him so that he can abide in us. He is the good shepherd. I've been in need of a good shepherd in my life. And Jesus fits the bill. He is not only the baby that was born in the manger, but he is Calling himself, in the book of John, the resurrection and the life. Because he died and because he lives again, I can do the same thing through his power and through his grace. I can live again in him. He is Christ. He's no longer the baby in the manger. He is the only begotten of the Father. Just as important as all of these statements are, that one statement we started with, God is love.